uh, we'll get started. Uh, as you can see, we're in week four. As I'm sure you've already noticed, that these are not true uh, distinctions between the lessons. They're kind of artificial separation. So this is really just the continuation of last week's lesson. So it's important that we have an idea of what is going on in the context of this lesson. So I'm just going to go for the home run review question here. No helps, no hints, uh, but just in one to three sentences, if anyone can kind of jog our memory about what the main point of last week's lesson was, and you can use your note, uh, but if you can remember what, what is the, the main point that Paul Tripp was trying to drive home last week. The heart is the source of everything we say and do. Amen, yes. The, the heart is the... Oh, he had a fancy uh, definition for that, and I don't remember what it was, but something like the, the control center for all of our thoughts, emotions, wills, actions, deeds. Uh, our heart in Scripture is defined and described as that center console that governs and determines all that we do and think. And anything else? How does that relate to... Parenting and children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, we're tempted to try to address the behavioral issues, the, the surface level fruit, without addressing the heart level issues that are the root. Uh, and, and so that is really what he's talking about. Uh, in this lesson, and he's just continuing on at, in this lecture. He used this phrase. It's going to come up again as uh, the lesson continues. What did he mean by apple nailing? This was an extended illustration he used, so it's just good to have in mind as we go into this lesson. The exterior behavior is the apple being nailed to the tree, and it represents the fact that the inward person has not been changed. They've learned to modify their behavior on an outward side, but their heart hasn't been changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's this idea of there's this dead tree, it's got no, no life, and yet you're just trying to fix the problem by nailing healthy apples onto the tree. He says that is what it's like when we just try to fix behaviors without addressing the heart. So I think that's sufficient to give us a little bit of context for this morning. Uh, then there's this opening discussion that we have as we orient for this lesson. Uh, a couple questions. I'm just going to start with both of them, and you can take either one uh, if you would like to answer. Uh, so number one, how do you think God wants to use you in the lives of your children? Number two... Is there one thing that you hope to pass on to your children? Those are big, the, the big level questions. So uh, either one of those, uh, if you would like to maybe answer one, go for it. I'd love to hear what you're, you're thinking. I have grandchildren. What I would want to pass on to my grandchildren is the love of God mm -hmm. to realize how loved we are and to love Him back. Amen. Amen. Anyone else for, for either of these questions? Uh, how you think 
God wants to use you in the lives of your children or one thing you hope to pass on. Uh, and I think really the, these can almost amount to the same thing, kind of two questions from different angles, different aspects, but getting at the heart of really what parenting is all about. Amen. Amen. We want them to know Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Uh, that's the most important thing. Do you have a... Go, go for it. Uh, to put the fear of God in them. <laughs> yeah. Being of wisdom. Yes. Uh, that, so that's one component of that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So part of them coming to a genuine understanding of who God is, is being instructed in His character and having uh, a reverence and a, and a right fear of who God is. Any, anything else that you contemplate these questions? Yeah, I would just leave that on what Raymond was saying. Like, I think it is that put the fear of God, but not in the sense of like that they're afraid of God, mm-hmm. like that He's some authority figure they need to cower underneath, but just that reverential awe and worship. Like, I think the fear and the love that Beverly said are actually kind of the same heart disposition toward God, where you're uh, a humble, contrite heart. Just, so, if there's a way to mock me both of you, ultimately that's something we can't. You want to pass it on to your kids, but it's uh, something we can model, we can exhort them to. But uh, and I guess that would be the one thing I would want to pass on. Yeah, and I think often if we've been Christians for some time, uh, this, this, these questions might seem like a given, uh, and, and we just take it for granted that, well, of course, the most important thing for me as a parent is to impart uh, the gospel to my children and, and lead them to it, shepherd them to Christ, do everything that I can to help them know the Lord. Of course, that's kind of taken for granted. You know, if we know Scripture and we, we believe in eternal realities of heaven and hell and the, the joy of knowing Christ and the, the torment of being separated from Him uh, in this life and forever, then of course that is going to be the most important thing. And it might seem too simple to even, like, it, like it's a given. But why, why is it important to explicitly think about these questions and to answer these questions, to contemplate them, in our, own, in our own minds of why it's not something that should just be left to the side and, well, it's just assumed and taken for granted. Why is it important to think about these things? Because it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's something that has to be the direction of our heart. It has to be constantly on our thoughts. We're going to impart those and take the time to address the roots and the heart of our child versus... Just continuing to deal with the external. Yeah. I live in a world that is uh, falling all over itself, trying to give me a million other reasons why I what I should be doing or how I should be doing it or what the reasons for me doing it should be, mm-hmm. and um, to keep the focus on you know who God is, who man is, why Christ, mm-hmm. and and to raise my children up in the knowledge of that to uh, to hopefully prepare them to enter the world as adults who are uh, able to become mature image bearers in their own right mm-hmm. uh, you know is it's easy to get mission drift man if you're not 
keeping that in your keeping the cross at the center of your focus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I feel like we. I mean, this is a helpful. I mean, at times we get so we drift into like thinking, well, we got to keep our the kids have to keep up with all the different activities. We got to make sure they're doing well in sports and music and school and all these. And so it's easy, practically speaking, just to make decisions that set you up for a life that's so busy that you really don't have time to like have meaningful conversations mm-hmm. or even address these things because you're just going from. I mean, I've been there. Yeah. At some level, we are there at certain times. It's like yeah. you're just going from thing to one thing to the next, the next, and yeah. you're not even thinking about these spiritual realities in like the daily, daily life. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to tack on to that? Yeah. Um, I think you also want like yourself and your children to trust in Christ and to know Him and to trust in Him rely on Him as the beginning and the end of truth mm-hmm. um, a lot of times people searching for answers especially as kids and teenagers and if you don't have a starting point of truth that you trust then you know, you're prone to wander yeah. pretty easily and you know how you handle that as the adult in the home like, where's your trust when you have financial struggles where's yeah. your trust when you have disagreements yeah yeah, and certainly, so it's about the, the big word, the eschatological, that, that last time, that the end, where our destiny, eternal destiny is, but also through the pilgrimage of this life, to have a friend in Jesus, to know a God who is sovereign and stable, who we can trust, who cares for us. We care about all that whole journey, and we want our kids to know and, and to walk on, on a path that is honoring to God and pleasing to Him. Uh, I, I think for, for me, the question, you know, I, I saw these questions in, in the guide, and I was like, well, of course, we all know that it's uh, for our children to know the Lord and, and to have a saving relationship with Him. But that is easy to overlook in just the midst of diaper, when you, I mean, in my stage, like diapers and spankings uh, that... And just over and over and over and over again, the, the frustrations and the mundaneness of parenting. Uh, and I'm sure, you, especially the mothers, feel the mundaneness at times of, of being a mother, where it's just the same thing over and over. And it feels like a bunch of mundane, unimportant tasks. And that's not what we're called to do. What, what are we called to do? To make disciples of all nations, starting in the home, starting with our children. Uh, so that we can make mature image bearers. That's the calling that we have as, as people. So we have this high view of you know, our anthropology, who we are as human beings made in the image of God, to, to know Him, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to reflect His glory. And our job as parents is to cultivate that in our children. Uh, and that, I mean, that's, that's a high, noble, dignified calling that we have but it doesn't feel like that all the time. And so that's why we need to think about these things uh, explicitly and consciously. Because it's easy, mission drift, just getting lost in the busyness of life. life. And so things that we, we believe intellectually don't always get fleshed out in our schedules or the things we prioritize. You know, whether it's academics or sports or this or that, uh, these things don't matter. They don't matter. What matters? That they know the Lord. And, and of course, we can't, we can't make that happen. Uh, and yet, just in, we should ask ourselves, in our own affections, in our own desires, what are we longing for for our children? For them to be successful in the world's eyes or for them to be pleasing in the Lord's eyes? So, I think that that's a good start. 
let's jump into the video. And I didn't open with prayer, so I'm just going to pray even now to prepare our hearts for the, the lesson. Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here as your people. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to grow uh, in our knowledge of you and for how we are to shepherd uh, our children or grandchildren or grown children or future children. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would use this time to shape us and convict us uh, of our own sins, of uh, the, our own ways that we fail to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, with our own root issues. Uh, so would you deal with us now, even as we listen to this lecture? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you believe in the heart... If you believe the heart is the control system, one of your main goals is to be an instrument of seeing. S-E-E-I-N-G. Because until your child sees himself with accuracy, he won't have a hunger for help and he will resist your wisdom and intervention as a parent. It's only when he sees himself and he sees, yes, I do do wrong things, I do desire wrong things, I do think wrong things, I need help, that he begins to get committed to be participating in the parenting that you're trying to do. Now, as I'm saying that, some of you are going to need to fight your cynicism. Because we have gotten so cynical in Western culture, we don't actually believe that a child could want to be parented. But that's what happens. As I function as an instrument of seeing, I give the Spirit of God an opportunity to begin to work personal insight and conviction into the heart of this child. And he begins to want to change. You got to hear what I'm about to say. This is hard. You have no capacity whatsoever to change your child. Zip, nada, none. Give it up. You got no hope ever of changing your child. No matter how well you act toward your child, if that child doesn't transact with God, he won't be okay. And your job is to set up that transaction. There was an old counseling joke that said, how many counselors does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, if the light bulb really wants to change. There it is. There it is. So let me give you a series of five heart questions. This is very practical. This is street level. This is practical as it gets. You say, well, Paul, I don't know how to get at heart issues with my my child. I want to give you five heart questions. They're not in your notes. This is free. Uh, 
And uh, these questions take seriously what we've said about the heart. They are a biblical way of thinking about how a human being functions, okay? And so the order of the questions must not be changed. You don't have to use these questions in this particular form, you know, in the, the, the words themselves, but the order is important. Here's the first question. What was going on? What was going on? Just get some kind of telling of the situation. Don't worry about the fact of being biased. It's impossible for a human being to talk about a situation without talking about it with bias, right? If I took a picture of this room and you took a picture of this room, whose picture would be right? Well, probably a combination. But you always, you always picture life from your perspective, so don't worry about that. Get, get a telling of the situation. Now notice the second question. What were you thinking and feeling as it was happening? What were you thinking and feeling as it's happening? What does that question go after? You can talk. The heart. Now, why is that the second question? Because we're teaching our children that no matter where you are, in every location, every relationship, every situation, your heart is always interacting. Your heart is an endless font of interactivity, that there's always interaction going on inside of you. That's what it means to be a human being. You're never passive. You're always interacting. You're always interpreting. You're always desiring. You're always wanting something. You're always wanting to avoid something. You're always putting things together, your heart is always active. Okay, third question. What did you do in response? That goes after what? Words and behavior. Now think with me. Why is that the third question and not the second Because we're saying that the behavior and words were not formed by the situation. They were formed by the way my heart interacted with the situation. Now, even if you don't get good answers, you're teaching your children to think biblically and to own responsibility because in the first question, the camera looks this way, but from then on, the camera is looking this way. Do you ever have your children tell you a, uh, the story of a situation and they're not in the video? <laughs> right? It's all about other people. It's all about situations. It's like they weren't there. So you're turning the camera toward them. Fourth question. Why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? Why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? That goes after what? Give me a word. Motives. Goals, purposes. Why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? Now break from your writing just for a moment and look up here. What we've done now is we've bracketed behavior with the thoughts and motives, interpretations, desires of the heart. When Hebrews 4 talks about Scripture, it says Scripture has the ability to cut through the layers and it exposes, it judges the thoughts and intentions of a person's heart. 
the heart does many things, but the two most important functions of the heart is the heart is always thinking and the heart is always desiring. Your behavior is always the result of what you think and what you desire. Wrong thoughts, wrong desires, wrong behavior. Fifth question. What was the result? That question goes after what? Well, consequences. Or a better biblical word, harvest. Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked whatever a man sows, he reaps. Whatever you plant, you harvest. If question five is the harvest, look at your questions. Where in the questions were the seeds planted? Two and four. The seeds are planted in the thoughts and motives of the heart. They grow the trunk of behavior and produce the fruit of consequences. Now, Get this, one of the things you have to buy into is that change is a process and not an event. Your goal in asking these five questions is not to have your child sign on the bottom line that he's desperately needy and broken inside and he will forever from this moment honor your parenting and submit to it wholly. What you're trying to do is take another step in insight. And so this four-year-old is going to hear me talking about his heart and he's beginning to put together what that means. And this six-year-old is beginning to make connections between his heart and his behavior. And this 11-year-old now has, has learned to think about himself in a distinctively biblical way. And the 16-year-old now has elaborate understanding of where he's weak and where he's strong, where he tends to be tempted, where he tends to not like authority. You see, it's a process. And every conversation I'm having, I'm, I'm trying to get at these central issues of the heart. The very first time I used these five questions was when one son was four and one son was two. Because they're actually very simple. And the two-year-old was playing with the Tonka truck that, owned, that was owned by the four-year-old. They're made of metal. The four-year-old walked into the room. He saw that his two-year-old had the audacity to touch a possession that was his because he is in the center of the universe, of course. And he walked over, grabbed the truck, and hit his brother over the head with it. His brother obviously screamed. I came in the room. And I knelt down on my knees so that we were sort of at eye level. And I said, well, what's going on here? He says, he had my truck. I said, well, what were you thinking and feeling? Great conversation. He said, mad? That's actually a good insight. I said, well, what did you do? Hit him? Now, what's the connection? The connection is not between the situation and his behavior, but his madness and his behavior. That's 
brilliant theology. He's for. He doesn't understand how eloquent his talking is. And I'm, I'm thinking this, this is the stuff that it gets propelled by the Spirit of God to begin to work grace into the heart of this little boy. I'm moved as we're having this conversation. I said, why did you do it? This is great. I said, why did you do it? He looked at me and said, my truck. You get it? It was mine. Don't you touch what is mine. You dealing with any of that stuff in your family? You don't want to be dealing with that when it's a 16 and a 17-year-old. I said, well, what was the result? (laughs) Trouble. (laughs) Now, he didn't then say, Dad, behold, I was shaped in iniquity. And it's... <laughs> no, he didn't. But he's taken a step. And we've had those conversations again and again and again and again. And by 10 years old, you walk into your room and you say, what was going on here? And the child says, Dad, I know what you're going to ask me next. <laughs> and I'll say, well, tell me. He said, I am so angry that that kid always has to be the center of attention. I just wanted to get him. Wow. See, how do you handle that stuff? My 16-year-old son was, first son was, a great kid. It was just fairly easy to raise. He was sort of a self-starter and uh, pretty responsive. Wasn't a perfect kid by any means, but fairly easy teenager. Sometime during that 16th year, he said that he was going to go to spend the weekend with a friend. Did we mind if he went? Well, we knew the family and we had no problem with the, him being there. It was a family from our church. Well, he uh, didn't actually go there. He had asked his friend to lie for him so he could go someplace where he knew we wouldn't want him to go. His friend got feeling guilty and got thinking if something happens to Justin, I am in big trouble. And he went to his mom. Said, Mom, Mr. and Mrs. Tripp think that Justin's here because I agreed to lie for Justin and uh, I don't know what to do. And she said, I think we need to call Mr. and Mrs. Tripp. Now, that was a hard call for her to make because I happened to be her pastor. But she made the call. I got off the phone, and I was so thankful for this opportunity. (laughs) I was ripping. I couldn't believe that after all these years of building trust, this kid would do such a thing. And so I 
I walked upstairs and I said to my wife, you want to know where our trustworthy 16-year-old is? (laughs) Well, he ain't at Josh's. She said, I think you need to pray. I said, I can't pray for him right now. She said, no, not him, you. You need to pray for you. (laughs) She was right. And as as I began to to pray, uh, it hit me that God loves my child. Get this, that God had already begun a work of rescue. God pressed in on the conscience of his friend. God caused his friend to go to his mom. God gave his mom the courage to call me because God loves my child and wants to rescue him. All of a sudden, my heart was filled with something else. Now, if that hadn't happened, you know what it's like. Your child is messed up and he's out of the house and you're pacing, waiting for him to come. And the door opens and you pounce. And you let him have it. He came home. I just greeted him and I let him get settled. He was home for a couple hours and I walked down to his room. And I said, Justin, do you, could we talk for a moment? He said, sure, Dad. I said, would you turn down your stereo? He said, yeah. I said... Do you ever think about how much God loves you? He's a little kind of confused about why we're having this conversation. He said, well, I don't know if I think about it all the time, but I think about that sometimes. I mean, no, do you you ever think about how much God loves you, you, you as an individual? He said, well, Dad, I guess I do, but I don't know what you're getting at. I said, well... Do you ever think about how much God's love and grace was operating in your life even this weekend? You know what he said? Who told you? And then I said, Justin, I want you to hear me. You have made good choices. You have lived your life in the light. And this weekend, you took a step toward the darkness. It's not about me. Oh, yeah, you lied to me, and that's something we need to talk about, but there's something bigger going on here. You can learn to lie. You can learn to create elaborate backstories. You can learn to manipulate and deceive. Or you can say, I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to live in the light. And I said, that's all I want to say to you right now. I started out of the room and I heard his voice behind me. He said, Dad, don't leave. I turned around And there are tears streaming down the face of this 16-year-old. And he said to me, Dad, I want to live in the light, but it's so hard. And the 16-year-old kid actually looked at me and said, Won't you help me? Won't I help you? 
I'd love to help you. Now, my normal instinct would have been to get in his face and say, don't you dare ever tell me a lie. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do for you? I do and do for you, and this is the thanks I get? You're grounded for six months. And walk out of the room. And you just nailed another apple. That child has no greater insight, no greater desire to change, no greater desire for your help. He's utterly unchanged. He's just unchanged and in prison. And we call that Christian parenting. Know what I'm saying, parents? That if you're ever going to get at the hearts of your children, you have to start with your own heart. You know, at 7 o'clock in the morning, when you're getting ready to go, and your children are fighting over something that's stupid and you start screaming at them, you're not screaming at those children because they broke God's law. You're screaming at those children because they're breaking your law. And in your law, there's no parenting needed early in the morning. You see, that's your heart stuff. I don't want to have to parent children who need parents. I don't want them to mess up. I don't want any disrespect. I don't want any fighting. I don't want any quandaries to solve. I want homework quickly done. I want self-parenting children. That's my heart stuff. Hear this, parents. If your eyes ever see and your ears ever hear the sin, weakness, and failure of your children, it's never an accident. It's never an obstruction. It's never an interruption. It should never be viewed as a hassle. It's always the operation of God's grace. God loves that child. He's put him in a family of faith, and he will reveal their need to you so you can be his instrument of help and change. That's love. That's grace. Something's wrong with us when we look at that as being a bad thing, when we look at that as being a hassle, when we're uptight because our moment is being interrupted. That's our heart stuff. Let me give you these four things that will happen if you're not dealing with your heart. And then we'll be done. Here's the first one. You will tend to turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. You will tend to turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. This is a moment of opportunity. God is revealing the need of your children to you, but you don't feel like that. You personalize it. You'll turn a moment of ministry into a moment of anger. Here's the second thing. I hinted at this. Because you've personalized what is not personal. 
because you personalize what is not personal. You make it all about you. Parents, it's not about you. Justin that weekend didn't say to Josh, I'm going to drive my dad crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. It'll be so much fun. You plot this lie with me. He'll think that I'm at your house, and then he'll discover that I'm not. He'll grow, go nuts. Yeah. That's not what's going on. And you see, when you make it about you, it's very hard to get to the grace of Jesus in the conversation. Third thing, because you've turned a moment of ministry into a moment of anger, personalizing what is not personal, you're adversarial in your response. Your adversarial response. It's not me for you, it's me against you. Because then as I look at you now, I don't see an object of my affection, I see an obstacle in the way of what I want, and I want to move it. I want to get you out of the way so I can have what I want. Finally, and so I settle for quick situational solutions that don't get at the heart of the matter. So I settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter I bark a judgment, I announce a punishment, and I walk out of the room. And there's no wisdom, and there's no insight. My child isn't saying, wow, this is a wise person. I'm glad this person is in my house. They're just waiting for you to get out of the room. And there has been this God-given, gorgeous moment where the heart of this child has been revealed and God's instrument is there present and the moment of ministry has been lost. You see, if you're ever going to get at heart issues with your child, you have to start with your own heart. That confession will lead to repentance. As this child begins to confess his wrong, he'll want to live in a different way. That's what repentance is. And as he does that, he'll realize he needs help and he'll reach out in faith for the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you getting at heart issues with your child? Or are you a very skilled apple nailer? Is lasting change taking place? Lasting change always travels through the pathway of the heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing passage of Scripture that we looked at in Luke 6 that's just one of hundreds that point us to the fact that the thing that controls and shapes our words and behavior doesn't live outside of us but lives inside of us. 
And that if we're ever going to see lasting change take place in the lives of the children that you've entrusted to us, we have to go after issues of the heart. Change must begin with the heart. Help us to be patient, perseverant, joyful instruments of heart change in your redemptive hands in the lives of our children. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm just going to breeze through these key points just for the sake of review, and then we'll, we'll uh, discuss a bit. So just some of the things that are highlighted in his notes. Uh, you cannot change your child. You prepare and help your child seek God and see his own or her own heart. And so what these questions are really aimed at doing is not correcting the behavior in that minute, but helping your child see his own heart and see God's character. Number two, getting at the heart of your child begins by looking at our own heart. We have to start with ourselves. Uh, And number three, we are instruments of grace and change in our child's life. Uh, And that really comes back to that opening discussion question of, uh, you know, what, how is it, How do you think God wants to use you in the life of your child? You know, are you just thinking about getting your child up to adulthood as a functional human being in society? Or are you thinking of yourself as an instrument of grace and change in the life of your child? The the primary and most immediate instrument for your child's knowledge of God, sanctification as they come to know Him, and growth to better reflect and image the the glory of God. So those are just some of the key points. Now, these are just the objective content review. What are the five questions he mentioned to address the heart? And you can just kind of shout these out, popcorn, hopefully have them in your notes somewhere. There's five questions. It was towards the beginning of how do we actually get at the heart? What was going on? Good. What was going on? Number two. What were you thinking? thinking? Number three? What did you do? Yeah, what did you do in response? Number four? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Number five? What was the outcome? What was the outcome? And I think the most important thing that he highlighted uh, is what is the significance? What's the transition that goes between question one and question two? What, what changes there? Yeah, exactly. He said, you know, the, the camera goes from what was going on out there to what was taking place in here. And, and why is that significant between question two and question three? And I think this is really important. <clears throat> he highlighted this, that if you skip question two, and you say, what was going on? And then you go to, how did you respond? Well, then the connection is, I did this because they did that. But if you ask question number two, what were you thinking and feeling at the time? Then you see, and even a four-year-old, a five-year-old can understand that what I did in response 
was not caused by my circumstances. It was not caused by the situation. That person did not make me sin. They did not make me say something I shouldn't say or do. What, what happened? Well, I, there was sin at work in my heart. There was anger. There was envy. There was all the, the vices, uh, the works of the flesh that were going on in my heart. And so that's how we work towards exposing the heart is highlighting that our actions are not the reflection of what was happening out there, but what was going on in here. And then he goes on to, why did you do it and what was the result? But I think just that, like he said, the form can change of these questions. You don't need to use these words, but they're helpful in the the order of addressing really the connection between what's going on in our hearts and how we respond. Instead of just jumping down to, don't do that. You know, here's a punishment, here's a threat, or here's some manipulation to get you to stop doing that, but actually trying to unveil what's going on in there that is causing us to respond in the ways that we do. And then towards the end there, uh, what four things happen when our heart is not being dealt with? This was right towards the end, maybe the last few minutes. Four kind of negative effects when we're just responding uh, without dealing with our own issues. Good. Uh, moments of ministry become moments of anger. What was the second one? To make it about us. Yes. Uh, you personalize what is not personal. And this is so easy. I'm sure we've all been there. Like, our child is in the middle of some sin issue that they're working through all their <laughs> sins and the corruption of their own heart. And, and we take it personal and, and we act like this is a, an offense that is directed at us. And so, in that moment, we can't engage them about the truth of Scripture, about who God is, and about their sins, because we're just mad. And so, that, that was convicting to me. Number three, you become adversarial in your response. What was the fourth one? Anybody have that? You settle for quick response solutions. Good. And you settle for quick situational solutions instead of dealing with the heart. And really, that's what he describes as apple nailing. Uh, and... Last week, let's see if anybody remembers, what were the three methods that we often, we often use to, to get these quick situa- situational solutions? He mentioned three tactics. Threat. Threat. Yeah, good. Threat. Bribing. Yeah, bribing. Yeah, manipulation. Guilt. And guilt. Uh, so, so those are just three common ones. I'm sure there's more. Uh, we're, we're very good, adept at... Learning, he, he said, a very skilled apple nailer. So these are kind of the objective things uh, that were learned in, in this lesson. So here's a couple questions more subjective. What is probably happening in your, our own hearts when we are frustrated with having to discipline our child? So this really kind of connects last week's lesson with this week's lesson. Why are we getting frustrated when we have to discipline our children? Selfishness in our own heart that we're having to stop what we need to be doing to address this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anybody want to tack on or add to that? Repetitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of like embarrassment if it happens 
in public or mm -hmm. there's it's also a practical thing. Yeah. Any any other things we want to add on to that? I think it's easy to say why are you doing this again? Mm -hmm. Yet to remember that we, not to be surprised by the sin, but to expect that they're sinners. And that's a good opportunity, like Paul Tripp said, to, to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think the words he used they they cease to be an object of our affection and become a obstacle to our don't remember the last word, but an obstacle uh, to our gratification for us to getting what we want uh, because we have to stop what we're doing uh, and and we have to take our time to discipline them. And I'm sure I, none of us enjoy discipline. It's not a uh, fun process. Uh, if it is, then there's probably something wrong. But really all of these are opportunities not only for the child, but even for ourselves to die to self. I mean, we hear these lofty realities in Scripture of our union with Christ. Uh, think about Galatians. Uh, for Paul says, For the life I now live, I, I, in the flesh, I no longer... Sorry. For I have died... And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He talks about our death, that we have died <laughs> and we've been raised with Christ. And that's the life that we now live. And, you know, thinking about that, where does our frustration come from? It comes from the old self is not yet dead. We have more dying to do. And that's why Paul says in, in Corinthians, I die daily. Uh, this is, and every single time, that our day is interrupted and our, what we like to be doing or whatever it might be, it's an opportunity to die to self and, and to die to our own desires. Why? So that we can serve and love our children rather, rather than just serving ourselves. Okay, why can we look at sin and conflicts, the sin and conflicts of our children as a positive experience? It's an opportunity to it's all right. That was a good answer. <laughs> Do you want to add on to that? I think it's, as he said, you know, you can have that kid that's relatively perfect and easy, and maybe some people have children like that, and by the time they hit that age where they're now going to go to college or whatever else, maybe you've never had an opportunity to truly see the heart of your kid. They've learned how to put on the exterior, mm -hmm. and you just don't deal with them, whereas the child that might be more difficult, you have a chance to truly work and see that child's sin and to utilize that as an opportunity. So I think, I don't, I'm not great at it because I fail all the time, but to look at those conflicts and that sin and be thankful, kind of as Paul Tripp said, that, okay, I can see this for what it is mm -hmm. and now we can work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else? Yeah. And, and so there's this reality that we can't bring conversion to our child, we can't bring new life to them, but part of our job of shepherding them is to bring them to an awareness of their need for the grace of Christ. And so these conflicts or sins, that these are opportunities to, by God's grace, hopefully unveil and unmask the sin in their own hearts, because <laughs> they don't think they're sinners in need of grace by nature, uh, they think they're justified in the things that they do. And so it's an opportunity to unmask the, the sin in their hearts and to point them, yes, show them the law, 
and show them how they fall short of the glory of God, but then point them to, to Christ and to the glorious grace that we find in the gospel. But to do that, we have to be thinking first about, I am an instrument of grace in the life of my child. You know, as you enter into that moment, uh, and that's true for all of our conflicts and all of our sins, uh, am I trying to work as an instrument of grace in the life of another, or am I just trying to get what I want in this very moment? And that's, that's hard. <laughs> what needs to happen for these moments of conflict to become moments of ministry? I, I think I might have just answered a bit of that, but uh, anything else that, that you guys think as, as you hear this question? Yeah, I, I think we covered, covered that. Just for the last two minutes here, if anybody wants to share, you can be a positive time where you did see a conflict of uh, or sin as a moment of ministry and the result of that, or a time when you failed to do that and, and what was the, the result of that. If anybody would like to be candid and, and share, opportunity to encourage one another in that way. I know for me, this happens often. It's just that the short moment where Asaph is doing something. <sighs> just that. And I know, I already lost the battle. Because even, I, I think, his two, three-year-old mind is already picking up that I'm a burden to my dad. Uh, I am not a blessing. He, I'm just a burden that gets in the way of him doing what he wants to do, and it doesn't include me. Uh, and so I feel that as soon as I just let out that sigh. Ah. I'm like, I already lost the battle. I already lost the battle. and So that, that's one thing, one time, and I mean, it happens all the time, where this sin or conflict, this inconvenience, I'm not viewing it as a moment of ministry. It's just an obstacle that's hindering me from doing what I want to do uh, in my flesh. Last night, a couple of our, we don't usually let the cats in our house because some allergies with people, but and a couple of our girls had cats in the house, and I told them to put them outside. They wouldn't put them outside after some <coughs> discussion. And they come back and said, Dad, you're so mean. <laughs> At that moment, I was exactly what he, what he described. I was like, don't they know who just them dinner and paid for the house? Like, what do you mean? I'm so, I mean, that, that's just, those are the questions that are rising in my heart. And my wife was sitting next to me, so I kind of looked at her, like, trying to... I, I was at least aware that, like, there was a check in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't just, I can't just say the things that are coming to my mind. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't necessarily know how to engage that heart issue at that moment. So we kind of let it slide for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment of, um, is, uh, instead of turning, at least by God's grace, it didn't become an adversarial conflict at the moment. I was able to talk with them later about it. But I can I r- relate to that, you know, desire to just, bounce on them like this is um, I need to crush them into the ground because they, didn't, they don't recognize how grateful they should be for yeah. yeah yeah uh, well we, there's a whole nother and I think it's in your notes there questions for personal reflection uh, I think we're all out of time but you can a personal reflection so uh, look at it in the afternoon talk about it over supper uh, with one another whatever it might be Ben would you mind closing us in prayer sure. Our Father in Heaven, we are so thankful for Your grace toward us as sinners, just in need of Your mercy every day. We pray that You would be equipping us to be Your instruments of grace and change in the hearts of our children. 
protect us from sin and pride and our own selfishness and that gets in the way of, of, of us just becoming that instrument and showing the grace that we received towards our children. Equip us, God, with greater wisdom and insight so that we can understand the, the heart issues that are underneath the behavior of our children and our own behavior. And, and we pray you help us even to be sharpening each other and, and learning from each other and helping each other along. We ask for your Spirit's work in the hearts of our children to, to trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. amen.